It's your Tio Gomez, and it is the Danger Gnome Podcast. We have with us today uh, Corey Stelgis, four-time Fat Bike Berkey champion. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks for having me. That has a nice ring to it. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago that we uh, interviewed you because we waited a really long time, and this time I was like, man, I, I'm going to get Corey while... Uh, while the feeling is fresh and uh, it's it's dinner time here on a I think it's Thursday and uh, what what do you what are you making for dinner Corey Oh man well my duties around the house are to uh, do all the, the supper prep before Heather gets home and then she works her magic to whip it into a Gotcha so you uh, sous chefing for us so yes I'm sous chefing a soup so I'm uh, chopping a bunch of vegetables nice. here but uh we're having yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. the St. Patrick's Day corned beef uh, and cabbage <laughs> dinner Classic. tonight. Classic, nice, yeah. nice choice, nice choice. So, uh, before we get started with uh, with this the twenty twenty two Fat Bike Berkey story, I, I I've been speaking with uh, with one of your friends, Jim Gray, through the well, not speaking, but trading some emails with him, and Jim came up with a. Uh, with a new nickname for you. Last time we interviewed you, we said, I said, Hey, you know, you we have to start working on a nickname. And, uh, <laughs> I, I posted it on your, on your, uh, social media post for your podium shot. And it's the Neff Zephyr. You race for, uh, for Neff cycling. How, how, right. do you, how do you feel about that? Oh man, you know, I've never been uh, one for nicknames too much, but uh, no objections, that's for sure. I, right. I think it's, it's got a nice ring to it, yeah. Right. That's that's just a real surprise that uh, you connected with uh, Jim Gray. That's great. He and, he and I were co-workers uh, many moons ago. Oh. and uh, He must yeah, listen to so the show. Uh, at least, I think he does. Uh, at least when... when you're the guest, uh, and the uh, Zephyr is a, a, the prevailing warm and gentle westerly breeze at the time of the summer solstice. Solstice in the northern hemisphere. Ah, I did not know that. That's, named named that's for great. That's great. Ze- what's the uh, what? What's the name of the prevailing winds at the winter solstice? Uh, Boreas. What is it? Boreas. Boreas. Wow. And the, Learn, I, I keep learning new things. This is great. Zephyr was uh, derived from the name Zephyros, the Greek god of the west wind, considered the gentlest wind. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and Jim suggests that that's just trickery on your on your part. That uh, you know doesn't seem that well, doesn't seem that gentle when it's coming out of the northwest uh, in the winter time. I'll tell you that. It does not, and it certainly did not feel that way Berkey weekend. Yeah, Berkey was super cold this year. So, Brutal. Uh, it ended up being uh, you and Chris Stevens and Will Ross came down from Anchorage. That was the top three. Why don't you, uh, why don't you give us the, the full story from the lining up in uh, gate one to crossing the finish line? Sure, sure. I'll, I'll try to uh, keep it relatively brief here for everyone. But uh, gate one, uh, kind of the, the usual lineup. I think we uh, kind of hurried to the line a little bit faster than years past uh, due to the, the sub-zero wind chills. I think it was right around uh, zero degrees when the race went off. So 
I don't know about everybody else, but I was kind of doing the, the mad dash from uh, the car to getting in a quick warm up to back to the car to ditch closing and then, then right to the start line and then uh, kind of getting my, my control to shiver on standing there waiting for the, the race to start. But sure. every, everything went well. We got off the line. Uh, no problems. Uh, trying to, trying to warm the body up right away. Um, it's kind of always this lag, you know, when you're standing around uh, in cold weather, waiting for the race to start as, as your body temperature is dropping from the warm up uh, before, before it starts to rise again when, when the race starts. So I think, uh, I think everyone was anxious to get right to it, generate a little body heat. I think, uh, the power line section, uh, for the, for the lead out was, um, you know, not, not full on racing, but it wasn't, uh, completely neutral either. Um, I think we're all, we're all working a little bit, uh, heading into a pretty stiff wind outbound on, on the power line section. Um, I was kind of, uh, surfing that, uh, that lead group and, and, uh, there was a number of people, I think, rotating, rotating through on the front to, to break the wind, but I was kind of sitting on trying to fix my, my balaclava, as I remember, Mm -hmm. because the wind was just absolutely freezing my face. And I was kind of preoccupied with trying to ward off a little frostbite there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, maybe a day but, for that for that face tape. It was that cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You know, I I have this this old uh, face mask balaclava that it's like fleece lined or uh, really thick material, and it's it's got a a nose piece that I can kind of pull up and down. So mm-hmm. it's it's handy, and I I save it for the really cold races, which has been every fat bike race this year, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah getting that situated, um, just kind of filing into position, waiting to hit that classic trail outbound. And for those familiar with the, the race course and Berkey land, uh, the classic ski trail, we, we run outbound on fat bike Berkey. Uh, it's, it's in that uphill on the, on the outbound leg, downhill on the return leg. And that, uh, Another another factor is the classic trail outbound is a little more windy. The snow condition is generally not groomed quite as hard and fast as the skate trail. I'm not quite sure what the uh, prescription for for the grooming equipment is up there all winter, but I I just know that uh, generally the first half of the race is a little bit more of a slog than the second half. So people who haven't done fat burkey or doing it for their first time, I say. The, the turnaround point is really more than halfway. You know, it's maybe two thirds of the way through the race, mm. effort wise. If you're going to try to meter your your effort, and so I just have that in mind a little bit. Um, I think that uh, you know Chris was definitely the the race animator that first half, and he was really attacking over and over again, um, over over the top of every rolling hill on that classic outbound leg, which, um, you know, at first didn't, it didn't feel all that difficult to, to cover moves and sit on. But then I think around halfway point that we group had whittled down, um, from 10 or 12 riders to five. And then I know Casey Hildebrandt was up in the, the lead group and he had a mechanical, 
um, failure on his bike. Yeah, which was, uh, I feel bad for him. Uh, um, he has to buy a fat bike. Casey, stop borrowing your fat bike. Just go <laughs> buy one. <laughs> Sorry, like right now. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately, Casey lost the league group, and then um, the other rider, I think it was um, Steve Marshall, came off right around the turnaround. And Chris kept really putting in some attacks off the front. And I think we we're all kind of lulled into a false sense of security because towards that uh, turnaround point, I know that, you know, I was starting to feel some fatigue and, and knowing we had the whole <laughs> return leg left, you know, I was starting to worry, starting to worry a little bit and, and wondering how fresh Chris and, and Will were. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I know that Will was really putting in some, good digs at the front too he looked to me like you know he was riding really strong so um it's a, it's a little bit of uh i guess in game trying to measure everyone else uh in the field trying to uh guess how much energy they have left and and weigh that against the race tactics and um you know i've, I've done this race i don't even know how many times now um seven or eight and it seems like those first three or four, it was a lot of, a lot of learning going on on my part. I uh, had to kind of develop the, the skill and the strategy of, uh, you know, reading other racers mm-hmm. and making kind of game time decisions. When's going to be a good time to, to attack, ride hard, sit on, et cetera. So, I think I was always kind of turning some of those uh, those calculations over in my head. I've won, I'd won three editions of Fat Bike Berkey prior to this. I think each one was a different strategy. Um, last year, as you remember, it was a sprint finish, and I won by you know probably uh, one four inch fat tire width at the <laughs> <Right>. end. There, <laughs> I'm not really keen to repeat that. <laughs> that finish but um you know the previous two two races i'd broken away at different points uh, out further away from the finish and i wasn't really expecting to uh try to ride the whole return leg solo but that that's what happened um we kind of made a a u-turn uh after double o chris did some turns at the front um i think he was asking me to go to the front to do some work and i kind of decided to put in a, a not a super hard dig, but just, just ride some steady hard effort at the front on a, on an uphill section of uh, some rollers and just kind of see if I could, uh, see, see Will and Steve, uh, uh or Chris's, Chris's hand mm-hmm. a little bit. And, uh, so I did that and kind of to my surprise that, you know, the first, the first uphill section, I, I looked back and, you know, it was maybe, uh, four or five second gap back to Chris. And, uh, I, I kind of almost like let up for a second and look back kind of thinking, you know, are, are we, we going to keep, keep the train rolling or not? Right. And, is, it, uh, is it too early to start to build a gap? Right. It's like, am, yeah, am I going to, yeah. am I going to be here all alone? Am I, come on guys. <laughs> are you coming? Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, was still a long way to solo in. Um, but, uh, then there was another, another uphill kind of after, 
after the first uh, with a with a short break in between and uh, just kind of kept the, the pressure on and looked back at the top of the second hill and the gap had maybe doubled. And I thought, well, seems to me that, uh, you know, I'm being let off the leash here and got to got to try. Right. So I, I guess this is it. And we had about another 10 minutes of riding to go before fire tower, which I, I was, I kind of had to, uh, do some, do some quick thinking where we were on the course, what was upcoming, you know, how hard I could really ride right. uh, at max effort for mm-hmm. and how that would correspond with, uh, with the course, um, coming up. And I thought, well, if I could commit to doing 20 minutes hard, that would get me over the top of fire tower. And after that, there's not a ton of decisive hard riding left in the race. So I just mentally, you know, you kind of have to bite off a chunk at a time rather than think, Oh man, it's a whole hour, you know, of right. riding. So yeah. if it's done, That's a good you know, way break to it, it into, for sure. yeah, break it into pieces in 20 minutes, just do 20 minutes. And, um, so I just committed to doing 20 minutes and, um, got, got over the top of fire tower. I could look back and see Chris, uh, behind me a few times. By the time we got to fire tower, I couldn't see him anymore. And by the time we got over the top, um, I was getting some feedback from, from spectators that the gap was up over a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I knew at that point, um, you know, it's definitely time to fully commit all the way in. So kind of went into uh, time trial mode a little bit, mm-hmm. um, rather than just pedaling hard all the time, uh, trying to conserve energy on the downhills and then still, uh, still ride hard on the uphill sections to, to maintain the gap. And, um, you know, I've, I've been in a number of different race situations over the years where, you know, you get time splits from people on the side of the course and sometimes they're accurate, sometimes they're not. But, um, I was, I was getting some, some feedback from people that, it, you know, it was, the gap was, was still pretty large. So cautiously optimistic all the way in, but I, I definitely did not let up at any point, um, uh, until you know, maybe that just that last final, uh, finishing straight. So, uh, turned myself inside out for better part of an hour, which was, uh, pretty difficult. I think, I think you know, when you're riding off the front like that and in, in a race, you can kind of summon extra energy that, uh, you might, might not have if you, uh, you know, are, are in second or third or a different scenario in the race. It kind of, uh, you get an extra shot of adrenaline there. And that, that was definitely the case. So it's a good feeling. It's also pretty nerve wracking at times, I can um, imagine. but yeah, it's something that, uh, it's a feeling that, uh, I'll never forget. I know that even, even being the fourth time when I'm there, it's just, it's just an amazing feeling. And here a couple of weeks later, I'm, I'm still kind of riding that wave. And mm, cool. uh, it, it's kind of cool to, to just, think back, you know, uh, at different points during the day and, um, and just kind of tap into that feeling a little bit and, and remember that day. So pretty special. Have you ever skied the, the Birkenbeiner ski race? I haven't. Um, it's kind of on my bucket list to do one time in my life, mm-hmm. ski the, the ski Berkey. And, and I know that, um, I was listening to, uh, Maria mm-hmm. Scott's interview um, the, the woman's winner of that Berkey and, and I didn't realize that she had also skied the Berkey and finished. I mean, she had an incredibly 
one rave won and won her age bracket. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's, that that's is, a serious uh, big deal. Yeah. Super impressive. Super and impressive. also, yeah, I, I think that, that her intimate knowledge of the course really gave her more insight and less of that anxiety of, well, and all of the, you're, you're talking about a lot of the calculations of where you needed to be. Uh, it just seems like that, that gave her the intel that helped her. She had a very similar experience. She broke away, found herself breaking away with not really putting in maximum effort and then just rode that to the finish and was surprised. Like, am I sure am I the first woman? And there has to be somebody. (laughs) I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. That must have just been an incredible feeling for her as well. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool story. I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt that, uh, having that course fresh in your mind from, from the ski version uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, is an advantage. So yeah, it was just yeah. one week between the two. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Just one week. My yeah. mistake. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I thought it was two weeks too, but, uh, yeah. So riding that, that wave of fitness and confidence and it's like yeah, going. It's always incredible to, to hear place. stories like that. And and I just, I, you know, I go back to, at, at the heart of it, um, all bike racing is, it's an aerobic sport. And it's, um, there's, there's certainly some specificity, to, if I'm saying that right, to, to pedal on a bike versus skiing. But, um, you know, when you have a big aerobic engine built throughout the year, uh, it can help you in, in multiple disciplines. And, and seeing Maria's two performances like that um, just kind of brings that that sentiment to mind. So yeah, that's a, uh, it's a great story to hear. For sure. So, uh, I, I learned something else about, uh, about your four time race champion that fat bike Berkey is not the only race that you're a four time champion of. I, I was talking to, uh, the folks that run uh, the Dakota five Oh today. Uh, and I mentioned while not talking again, Emailing, <laughs> emailing the folks from Dakota Five O, okay. and uh, they, they mentioned. I mentioned uh, I'm going to interview you tonight, and uh, we'll be interviewing them about Dakota Five O and the Twenty Eight Below uh, Fat Bike Race, which hopefully they'll schedule. It was the same time as uh, as Fat Bike Berkey. Hopefully they'll find a different time slot uh, because. Man, the the terrain and the snow out there has to be just awesome. Have you ever ridden fat bike out there? I haven't. No. Uh, yes, I, I've been. I've been very fortunate to to go out to Spearfish and attend the the Ridge Rider racing events that that Perry and Christie put on, mm-hmm. and they're absolutely one of the highlights of my year. Uh, Spearfish is a real hidden gem. Yeah, and it's Dakota Five O. Oh, sorry. Yeah, to go to Five O's on Labor Day weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've, I know that they run a, a few other races throughout the year. It, it's quite a haul for me to get out there, and with with twenty eight below falling this year on the same date as Fat Bike Berkey, and and in past years it's fallen. I think the week after Fat Bike Berkey. Um, you know, it's just been a little more challenging logistically for me to get out and do that race. But I really would like to. I know that Spearfish has an incredible winter sports scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of written or uh, read some literature in my time out there. And 
Spearfish and Spearfish Canyon, uh, which are a little bit different in, in elevation. I think the town of Spearfish, South mm-hmm. Dakota, is about 4,000 feet, but then Dakota 5.0, the race, is a lot of it's run at over 6,000 feet of elevation um, up, in, up in the Black Hills there. And the Spearfish Canyon and the town of Savoy uh, get something like 300 inches of annual snowfall. Right. And I've seen some photos from their, from their race, even, you know, end of March, uh, beginning of April, you know, with just like uh, amazing snowpack, you know, feet and feet of snow up there. Um, so it would be really cool to get out there sometime and ride fat bike. I think they have an amazing trail network. I know that they do some grooming. Um, I, I don't have personal experience with it, but I know that the, the race that, uh, that they put on in September is just an incredible event. I would love to go out there and do 28 below at some point too. Cool. Because so, yeah, but, Dakota five O has such a reputation for being the grassroots great race. You know, that, that whole, the bicycle culture part of it is also, uh, on top of all the great scenery and a good course. And, and yeah, it's a great atmosphere. It's, it's, it's definitely kind of, a a throwback to the old days of cross country mountain bike racing where it's a, you know, a big single lollipop loop, you know, it's, it's true. It's 50 miles. And I mean, it takes me four hours to do it. Some people are out there seven, eight hours. It's a really difficult course. It's natural trail style of riding. Um, you know, sometimes you have to share the trail with, cows uh, on, on open range land out there and you know ride some, some fence hoppers and things like that so uh and you really get the feeling like you're you're really out there not in a kind of manicured um you know environment with with people around you you're definitely out there by yourself for a long stretch of the time so a really cool experience really neat race um if people have the chance so, opportunity to go do it some year are you hiding any other races that you won four times? <laughs> four times. Gosh, I don't know. You know, I I don't know offhand. I, I probably won a few of the local cycle cross races four yeah. times. Yeah. Um, I, those I, I don't keep uh That was a pleasant surprise for me. Close. I was like, really? He won? That's, oh. that's a big race. That's, that's a race yeah. that I've heard about for years and always kind of thought about going to uh, some of my friends have gone and said really, really good things about it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I asked, uh, Jim Gray again, if he had any questions I should ask you. And, uh, he, <laughs> okay. he, he did, he said he didn't have any questions, but he did bring up some interesting facts about you that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, this is the fourth time that I've interviewed, interviewed you. So I, ha- I have to come up with, I, I thought about, well, should I have, should I have a bunch of people give me questions? And, uh, Jim just gave me some good ammunition for t- to talk about subjects. Uh, oh man, he's got a lot of ammo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll just start out with with this sentence: "Is Corey is an accomplished lumberjack, and Heather a lumberjill?" So, lumberjacking. Well, I had no idea. I would not say that I'm an accomplished lumberjack. Uh, you know, I do know how to run. Uh, you know. A chainsaw, a chainsaw and and know my way around an axe to you know 
proficient level, perhaps. Uh, but so then, not that you're not a speed saw. You're not a what? What do you call the thing where you stand on the log and you chop down below your feet? Uh, uh, yeah, a, I don't know what that uh, that competition's called. The Lumberjack World Championship. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'm, I am not going to be an entry in Lumberjack World Championship. Okay. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, this this winter, Heather and I got a, a wood burning uh, fireplace insert in our house, mm-hmm. and we uh, we got some some free oak delivered to our house from a local tree company. And kind of to our surprise, it got delivered in chunks that were you know <laughs> three <laughs> three to four feet diameter long. So next time I see you, you might be like burlier than you were before. Yeah, yeah. So my winter, my winter uh, core weightlifting training was uh, sawing, sawing these giant oak logs and splitting them with an axe, which I tried to break up into segments of like, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day was my allotment of, sure, yeah. of lumberjacking throughout the winter, uh, just to, you know, substitute for my strength training. And, and I think that that load of oak delivery ended up being about three cords of, of cut wow. and split oak that we got stacked in the backyard. And the other rule I had was it had to be done two weeks before fat bike Berkey so uh-huh. that I wasn't too sore or tired for the race. <laughs> yeah. Just made it. <laughs> so, and in, in one winter you, you split three cords. So how much did you burn? Well, we burned about one cord, uh-huh. but the, the wood I got delivered is, fresh cut oak uh, Some, gotcha. someone so had paid yeah it has to dry for about two years right yep on. yep the other thing that that uh jim mentioned is your deer hunting and that you're uh that you're proficient with the bow um that's that's an interesting skill set as well um thanks yeah so oh. close to those deer too uh <laughs> Yep. Also, also proficient with bow and arrow, you could say. I yeah, I've been I've been bow hunting for 20, 20 years more now, um, and it's something I really enjoy. I don't I don't post a lot about it on social media or, or talk about it too much. But yeah, it's it's just a it's something I really enjoy. I value the the connection to nature in in the outdoors, and I really like the archery experience because i think it's just a little bit more intimate with with nature and and not so much uh um you know exercise like like gun season is going out there and um sure yeah you're out there for a long time observing nature my favorite part of hunting was getting to the blind and watching the marsh wake up i mean you never knew what was going to be out there when those well, that first light comes up. Uh, Absolutely. And it's great. And, you know, my favorite part is whenever you, you walk into your, your tree stand or blind location and you, you make, you try not to make noise, but animals always notice you walk in. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you sit down or motionless for 15 or 20 minutes, then you notice the woods change and animal behavior change because you become part of nature and the landscape at that point. And if you're motionless, the, uh, the animals and, uh, 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 nature itself just kind of, you know, accepts you as part of Mm -hmm. the landscape. So it's it's a totally different experience 
once once you get past that kind of point where you've uh, let everything settle down and gotten into the woods. So that's that's kind of my my favorite point once once you get past the the settling down portion. Well, cool. The last thing that I have on my list to talk to you about is uh, is the city planning of Madison's uh, shred to school or what what do they call the the trails uh, that you have been integral in in uh, in planning and getting these approved uh, shred to school why can't I think it's, it's more clever than that what is it no you're correct shred to school is oh, an individual you. trail segment which uh planning on building in, in 2022. But the larger uh, project that uh, I'm, I'm working on through my job at, at Madison Parks Division is the construction of an urban single track network in the urban Madison area. And we're, we're uh, dubbing that whole trail network covers the entire city of Madison, mm-hmm. the Mad Bat Trail. And Mad Bat stands for the Madison Bicycle Adventure Trail. So the Mad Bat is a master planning document. Mm-hmm. Uh, it identifies a lot of trail segments and locations for um, amenities like a pump track and lays out how they all can be interconnected by either dirt or paved path or bike lanes on uh, existing city streets where necessary, because we don't have, um, you know, all the green space and dirt to, to build a network out of only dirt and, mm-hmm. and single track. You know, a lot of the, the land area is broken for and developed within, within an urban area like Madison, but um, it's, it's split up between single track segments, uh, nodes like a pump track or bike mm-hmm. playground, mm-hmm. Uh, and and paved connections to weave them all together. So we created this master planning document, the Mad Bat Plan, in 2020. Uh-huh. And then each year, our goal is to pick off and build a couple segments uh, each year to to flush out the network. So in 21, we started the construction of paved pump track, asphalt pump track built by Velo Solutions, which is the world's premier pump track builder mm, cool. uh, at Aldo Leopold Park on the south side of Madison here, just off the Beltline. And then in 22, we're going to build what you mentioned, the Shred to School Trail, which is a, uh, it's a flow trail, you could say, parallel to a paved bike path. So Cannonball Bike Path here in Madison is a major commuter thoroughfare for um, bicycle and pedestrian commuters. Mm-hmm. And we say the paved path is for transportation, but single track is for fun. Mm-hmm. And the shredded school trail is for fun, but it's not just a traditional dirt single track. It, uh, we're hoping to get uh, a chip seal product that uh, one of the professional trail building contractors is pioneering. Mm-hmm. And I've ridden a, a similar segment down in, in Bentonville, Arkansas. And I think that they built a, a shredded school trail down there. Uh, but ours runs uh, right in front of Leopold Elementary, which is uh, an elementary, elementary school here uh, on the south side of Madison. And we're using the chip seal product to make it more all weather. So it 
because it's going to be relatively high traffic with all the kids coming and going to school, hopefully. Um, you know, we want people to be able to ride them if it's raining or a little muddy, um, but still have fun where you have, you know, big uh, berms and rollers and some, you know, rollable jumps, some prefab uh, features like some, some wood skinnies, uh, some drops, some rock rolls, things like that, that you could go out and ride um, even in the middle of the of a rainstorm or on a March day like today where it's uh, kind of spitting snow. Uh, so, yeah, I'm uh, trying to get that, that trail on the ground here in 2022. Uh, a little bit of a logistical challenge, uh, getting uh, a trail builder hired with, uh, you know, a, a governmental agency's rules for hiring Right, contractors, sure. All et cetera, of that. Et cetera. Uh, so yeah, process, et cetera. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's looking promising, looking promising. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I really feel fortunate to be able to to work on a project like this. It's, it's part of my my day job. That is so cool. I, you know, the the connection between Bentonville and Wisconsin is so strong. A, a lot of the trail builders winter in, in Arkansas and summer uh, up in the UP and all over our state. Uh, there are, there's more than one contractor now. It's, uh, it's, 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 uh, I, I feel lucky. I feel like, like this is the time where the renaissance of trail building is, is truly just beginning. Uh, where I moved to in out in the middle of nowhere four years ago, uh, right when I moved here, they just started building trail six miles from my house, and it was like, man, absolutely, oh, we are really entering. Yeah, we're entering the golden age of, of trail building, and uh, a, a professional trail builder is now becoming a trade. Right. Yeah. I, I, I saw an incredible pl- playground of a bridge that rock solid trail building had built in, uh, in Arkansas as a work of art, you know, it's absolutely, it's, it's part artistry, it's part construction, uh, it's part engineering and part lumberjacking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is true. I've 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 interviewed uh, uh, one of the cats that uh, he kind of pioneered the uh, taking the material and milling it right there on site, so that they would use trees that they fell to clear the trail to create uh, technical trail features or or boardwalks, etc. Et it's kind of cool. Yeah. You're absolutely right. They did that out at Blackhawk. I think milled a, a wood boardwalk out of. Yeah, Chad Landowski um, was the guy that, and he's right yeah. from where where I am right now. He's right from the Lake Mills area. So, okay. Well, very cool. Now, four-time champion of multiple races, lumberjack, deer hunter, <laughs> and trail uh, creator. Unbelievable. Wow, you make it. You make that uh, sound uh, pretty impressive. But well, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Just trying to work on the things that I like doing. Try to do them to the best of my ability here. Cool. Well, I'll uh, I'll look forward to talking with you again. And we really appreciate you coming on the show. 
Um, you should give a shout out to to like Neff Cycles and anybody else that you want to shout out to that helps you Absolutely. in your endeavors. Yeah, well, first and foremost is, is Neff Cycles and, and Isaac Neff. Uh, for those of you who who don't know, I, Isaac Neff is uh, not only my number one sponsor, but uh, he's also my brother-in-law. And uh, so it's a little bit of a, a family affair here. And, um, we all lo- love the shop here in Madison, Cycle Service. Um, and, and, and then super fast racer as well. Absolutely. Recently, uh three-time cyclocross national champion. So he added another title to his resume here in December with uh, cross nationals down in Illinois. I couldn't quite match him. I, you know, only, only landed on the second step there. Wow. Uh, So yeah, he's, he's got three jerseys hanging in the shop, three stars and bars jerseys, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, Beyond that, the folks at Hotso cycles have been, huge supporters, very grateful to them. Been racing their fat bike for a number of years. And then also their, uh, gravel or cycle cross bike here, uh, during, during cross season. Uh, and then head wheels, ceramic components, all been a huge help. I got the, uh, the ceramic speed kit, uh, the derailleur cage, derailleur pulleys and bottom bracket. I was running my fat bike all winter. Really cool. Rode, rode it all winter uh, through all the all the training miles, dark, cold, snow, flush, um, and then then raced it at Fat Berkey. It's been pretty pretty cool to see how those components have held up through the the cold weather, and uh, been pretty impressed with those. So they, I got to give a shout out to them. That's some well. super super sexy bike tech right there. Yeah, you know, every year I look at the fat bike and I say, I got to make got to make it just a little special for this this year this edition and and this year ceramic speed one has the the fastest fat bike out there and i i think that happened very cool well i guess uh you can take a week off and then it's uh time to start training for (laughs) for mountain bike season (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I know we were down in Bentonville last week, so I went from Fat Berkey right down to Bentonville. Ooh, nice. um, but taking uh, taking my week off this week, so riding the couch, looking for a, a few more a few more trees, lumberjack, and then getting the, the dirt bikes ready. Cool. All right, my man. We'll cool. talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. As always, no problem. We'll see you soon. Take care. That's our show for this time. We'd like to thank our show sponsors, 1UP USA Racks, Portland Design Works, and Ren Sports. And a reminder that the Danger Gnome podcast is made possible through support from Travel Wisconsin. Felices Caminos, amigos. Check us out on Instagram at fastbike.com. Come on, we're still best way at the fire, the top of the notch, we'll feel the scanning.